0: And well, if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn right back to where we was at this morning. <laughs> Acts chapter 10. Now, not the same verses in Acts chapter 10, but turn back to Acts chapter 10. I want to begin and read the first couple verses, uh, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Well, you're finding Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I'm the kind of person that, and the Lord knows that, and he deals with each one of us differently, uh, and, you know, speaking for preachers, you know, he gives us, you know, there's similarities in the way that he works in us, but there's differences. I'm the type of person that if I don't know or don't think I know at least what I'm going to preach, I really worry over it until I do know. Uh, Just like what I preached this morning, I knew for a couple weeks, unless the Lord led me in a different direction, that's what I was going to preach this morning. What I thought I was going to preach tonight is not what I'm going to preach tonight at all. And so anyways, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how the Lord does that. Um, really, I would, you probably heard me use the term un, unbaled hay. Uh, I got that from, a, from an old preacher that come and preached at Dry Creek one time whenever I was pastoring there. And he had mentioned that at the beginning of his sermon that what he had for us was some unbaled hay. And that's kind of what I feel like what I've got for you tonight is maybe a little bit of unveiled, hey, I'm going to kind of drag you around through the scriptures. I talked this morning, right, we read a few verses, we read uh, what did we read, uh, verses 9 through 14, this morning now chapter 10, and we focused on Peter, and Peter saying no to the Lord. There is another prominent character in that story, right, uh, and his name is Cornelius, he is a, he is a centurion. He is a Roman. Well, we assume he's a Roman. We don't know, uh, you know, what his ethnicity is. But, anyways, there's much about his background other than we know that he is a he's a soldier in the Roman army, and he's not just a just a regular old soldier. He is over about a hundred men. I don't know what that would be equivalent today in in our military if that would be a sergeant or a lieutenant or, or or how that works if you know you can explain it to me later but we do know that since he was a centurion that that means that he would have been over uh, uh, approximately a hundred men a hundred soldiers uh he would have been a part of uh, well they refer to here in the scripture the italian band which would have been part of a legion and so on and so forth but anyways verse one says acts chapter 10 verse one says there was a certain man in caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the italian band a devout man who excuse me a devout man and one that feared god with all his house who gave much alms to the people and prayed to god always let's say i want to stop right there and let's go the lord together in a word of prayer will you bow your heads with me Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you tonight. We thank you for the good day and the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the songs that's been offered here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the good spirit that we've felt here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done already and what we know that you're still yet to do. We thank you, Lord, for the prayers that you've answered and the ones we still know you're going to answer. We thank you, Lord, for the nation that we live in, the freedom we have to be able to come here tonight without any kind of fear of persecution uh, or any retribution whatsoever. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you poured out on us, but we thank you most of all for our salvation. God, that you sent your only begotten son, that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on Calvary's cross so that we might be made free, uh, so that we might be able to come and spend an eternity with you so that to pay our price, our our sin debt, so that we might be saved. And Lord, we don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. We couldn't do enough to repay you. We couldn't even thank you enough. But Lord, I pray that we would always be a people with praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of it. And I pray, Lord, as we go forward in this service tonight, God, have your way and your will. Lord, just continue to uh, Lord, I just ask that you just continue to move by your sweet Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, that you would have uh, uh, not only have your way and your will in the service, but in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And Lord, that it would carry back to our homes as well. and into, And with us tomorrow and the rest of the week. I pray, Lord, that you'd have an impact on us here tonight. Not, not me or, or because of what I say, but you and your words. I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, if there's anything in any of our lives, if any of us have let any sin in, we've been dwelling on anything, we've let it creep in, we've, we, we've thought on it, we've let it come between uh, you and us and, and our walk with you, God, I pray that you'd bring it to our attention. God, I pray that you'd convict us of it, of it and that you wouldn't give us any peace until we'd repent of it. And get it out of the way so that nothing would come between us and you. Nothing would hinder our walk with you. Nothing would dampen our relationship with you. We'd be able to have that sweet, holy communion with you tonight. And I pray tonight, Lord, that if there's any among us that doesn't know you, Lord, that's my heart's desire above everything else. Not a single person would leave here tonight lost, but we would all leave here and say... Knowing you and a saving relationship with you. And Lord, uh, as I've already stumbled with my words here tonight, I need your help. I can't preach unless you give it to me. I've got nothing worth saying. I sit here and I think about my shortcomings and uh, how far I, I have, uh, how short I fall, how much I fail. And so Lord, I just pray right now, despite all of those things that, God, that you would show up and that you would use me as your vessel tonight to deliver your message and your work. I pray, Lord, as I submit myself to you, Lord, that you would just clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts, and that you'd place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me say tonight. And everything that would be done here and said here tonight would be pleasing to you and would bring you glory and would be according to your will. So, Lord, as I ask for your help to get myself out of the way, Lord, I just pray that you'd have your way and your will here in this service amongst your people. And we'll give you all the glory for it because we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. This Cornelius fellow. He was a Gentile. That would be the right word to use. As I preached this morning, this message, I kept thinking about um, a time that I had preached about Cornelius years and years and years ago. I mean, ten over ten years ago. long time ago. And it's amazing how God brought that memory back to me. I remember... I remember exactly where I was at. I remember the time, I remember where I was at, uh, and anyways, there was there was one segment of that sermon, a piece of my notes that I kept remembering, and I thought, you know, I, I couldn't forget about it, as we went and ate lunch, I was sitting there, I was thinking about it through lunch, and I was trying to think in my mind, I was thinking, well, you know, trying to remember what it, what it had said in my notes about him, and I kind of remembered, but I couldn't remember for sure, and I thought, man, do I still even have that? Where, where is that? Can I find that? I went through and cleaned out and threw away a bunch of my old notes here, I don't know, six months ago or maybe not quite a year ago, and I thought, I bet I threw it away, and so anyways, I went home, and I, I started digging through my old notes, and sure enough, now it took me a little bit. It wasn't, I didn't go straight to it, but I found uh, my old notes. As a matter of fact, Don, if you remember, you were there that night. It was at the Kabul General Baptist Church at a fellowship meeting on a Tuesday night that I had preached. And in my message, I had preached about, um, looking at my notes here, I don't even really know what all I'd preached about. I'd preached about giving everything to God and, 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 you know, not holding anything back. And I mentioned Cornelius. And Cornelius is referred to here as one that feared God. He's one he's referred to, the, he's a part of a group of people that were referred to at that time as God-fears, okay? What they were is they were a group of people that were worshiping the one and true God, the God the Jews worship, but they, but they weren't actually full converts They weren't proselytes is the right word. They hadn't been fully proselytized, right? There's a process. To, you could convert to Judaism, and there's a lot of people that did convert to Judaism. But there's a process that they had to go through. For a man, he would have had to been circumcised. He would have had to been... They would have called it a ritual bath, but we would have looked at it and just saw it as baptism. But they would have went through, and there were some other things. There was a sacrifice they would have to take and offer. There's a process they to went through. But these Godfears was a group that had not completely went through that process. Maybe they were in the process. Maybe they were thinking about it. Maybe they never had any intentions of becoming a full convert. But they would still worship the Lord. They would still go to the synagogues. They would hear the scriptures read. They would learn of the scriptures. Uh, they, would, uh, you know, they would do things like this. They would give alms, as it talked about here. In other words, they would give to the poor to try to help the poor and need. Needs and things like that. And so I had found or come up with this definition. I don't have any idea where I got it, but I had read it. And here's the definition I have for what a God was. A God was were non-Jews who believed in one God, often attending the synagogue and other services. They respected Jewish customs and beliefs, but yet they remained unwilling to to fully embrace Judaism and become a full convert. Something was holding them back, right? Maybe they were still just trying to figure things out, and, and you know. And, and then again, maybe there was something in their life that was keeping them from it. Maybe there was something they knew they would have to give up that they weren't willing to give up, to fully embrace the God of the Jews and become a full convert convert right with Cornelius we don't know he was an awful good man he seemed like an awful good man done a lot of good things he was seeking God God knew his heart God sent him this vision and to send men to Peter so Peter could come uh, and preach the gospel to him in Cornelius case right this is the beginning of, of God's spirit being poured out on the Gentiles right this is the first one this is the first person that we know of that's recorded in the scripture and I think it's the first person ever that got saved, received the Spirit of God who was uncircumcised, who was not part of the Jews, who was not even a Samaritan or anything like that had no, you know, none of that background. But yet, you know, as I think about these God fears, and it's probably what I preached on that night, is we've got a whole lot of people that sit in our churches that could be classified as these God fears also, right? They were, they're interested, but yet there's some things that they're just not quite willing to let go of. I thought about there's still some changes that need to take place in their life. Now, I told you unveiled hate tonight. I've got just kind of a, train, or a series of thoughts the Lord has given me, and I'm just going to share it with you, and we'll see how God puts it together. Remember this, Cornelius. He's seeking God, but there's still some changes that need to take place. Now, when I think of change, there's two scriptures that come to my mind immediately. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same uh, yesterday and today and forever. Right? Telling us that Christ does not change. He, He is the same, always the same. And the other scripture is Malachi 3.6 Three six is actually the first half of the scripture where God himself says, for I am the Lord, I change not. That's telling us, uh, 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 that's how I want to say this. This teaching us something about God, right? This is informing us of one of the attributes or the characteristics of God. He is unmutable, right? He does not change. You've got to know that. God does not change. Why does he not change? Why does God not change? Over the course of all of of time, and beyond that, he's from eternity to eternity, but yet without change, never changing. Why is that? It's because he is perfect. You ever thought about that? That's why he's unmutable. That's why he does not change. He is perfect. Perfect. That's why it says in Hebrews five forty eight, be per, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The Scripture tells us we are to strive, we are to model ourselves after our heavenly Father, and we are to be perfect as He is to be perfect. So if now just reason with me for a little bit here. So if so if God was to change in any way. If he was different in the Old Testament than what he is in the New Testament, like some like to say, he would change. And that would mean that he wasn't perfect, but maybe he is now. And then again, maybe, maybe in another age he's got to change some more. That's not what, That disagrees with what the Bible tells us. That would be a false teaching, a false doctrine that he's changed. You see, if God was to change in any way, he would no longer be perfect. Do you understand that? If he had changed, is changing, or was going to change, that would mean that he is not perfect. Think about it for a minute. What does it mean to be perfect? Well, the simplest definition that I could give you for perfect would be one word, complete. That's what it means to be perfect, is to be complete. Right? Have you ever done something and you, and when you finished it, you said, that's it, perfect. Well, it's not literally perfect. There's imperfections, I'm sure, somewhere in whatever it is. But what you're saying is, is it's done. It's complete. There is not another thing that you could do to it to improve upon it, to make it any better. It's done. It's complete. There's nothing left to change. Meaning there's nothing you could do to to change it, to make it any better. It's done. It's perfect. It's complete. Listen to me. When we talk about you and I, now God is perfect. He's complete. He's done. There's nothing left to change there. But you and I are a different story. We cannot be perfect until we are done, until we're complete. That's why the Bible says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's still working on us. It's a process. We are a work in progress. We talked about, me and Mike talked about that a little bit today, still yet. Talked about it some yesterday. It's like the song that the kids sing. He's still working on me. So let's look for just a minute. Told you I was going to drag you around the scriptures a little bit. Let's look at a few scriptures that talks about or change. Um, Romans. We'll just start there. We'll go from front to back. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen to verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're going to be transformed. We are to be changed. That's what that scripture is telling us. Let's go a little farther. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Let me turn here. Uh, verse. Uh, let's see here. Verse twenty-two. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-two says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We are to exchange the old life for a new life. The old man for a new man. The old nature for a new nature. Right? There is a change that is to take place because we're not perfect. And that change is not, I mean, I'm telling you, it's not all of a sudden snap your fingers and you're completely done. If you're completely done, you're dead. (laughs) Let me give you one more, Colossians. Just a couple pages over. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We are to be changed into the image of Christ. Changed into the image of Christ. Transformed by the renewing of our mind. Exchanging the old nature for a new nature. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about change. Let's let's just talk about change in general for just a moment. Okay, So when you think about change in general, it is either an improvement or the opposite of that, a decline, a worsening. In other words, it can either be a change for the better or a change for the worse. That means it can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Okay, that's a simple, very in general change, right? It can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. So the question is sometimes asked, should we change? Should you and I change? Well, listen, the short answer, according to the scripture, you should already know from the scriptures I read to you, is if you're already perfect, then no, there's no changing to take place. But if you're not perfect yet, that's all of us sitting in here. (laughs) That's all of us that's still drawing breath. If we're not perfect, then yes, you still got some changing to do. I still got some changing to do. I told you the kids sing it, they've got it figured out. He's still working on me. Listen to me, he's not just working on the 5-year-olds and the 6-year-olds and the 7-year-olds. He's working on the 40-year-olds, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, a the 50-year-olds, the 60-year-olds, the 70-year-olds, the 80-year-olds, the 90-year-olds. As long as you're still drawing breath, he better be working on you or something's wrong with you. So how important is it? Well, I'll tell you how important it is. Listen to me. If you don't change, you're going to wind up spending an eternity in the devil's hell. You get what I'm saying tonight? And if you haven't begun the change, right? If there's no change that has begun to take place in you, Hey, I'm not saying that you've reached perfection. As a matter of fact, I'm saying that just the opposite. We've all got a little ways to go still yet. But if that change has not begun, and if you're not different than what you were, then you're still lost. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away behold all things are become new so the Bible tells us it's almost like there's a tension between these two things until you begin to put them together and understand what it's saying right so on one hand it is saying the old man has passed away right the the, the the if we're in Christ if anybody if any man be in Christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things have become new right so that is on one hand on the other hand it's saying that he's still working on us right that we're being perfected we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind so the the tension is that it's still a process is taking place, right? So in other words, what he's trying to say is, is when you get saved, God begins to work in you, right? And there's some things that begin to change right then. And for most of us, I mean, it's a big difference starting right there at the beginning. But you ain't perfect yet. You still strive for that perfection. Still striving to be Christ-like. So, let me throw it out to you this way. What if, let's pretend for a minute that this is you. What if an initial change was made within you, right? That's what I'm talking about, that moment of salvation. What if an initial change was made within you? But that was at some point in the past, maybe the distant past, and you're not changing anymore. There's not any change taking place. Now, remember something. It's not by our power, right? It's not, it's not you know, self-help, right? It's not done by, will, by our willpower, how much willpower you've got, right? Read self-help books and practice these different techniques. That's not it. It's not done in our power. It's not by our power that we are changed. It is the Holy Spirit of God that changes us. So, let me, let me just answer your question for you. If I had had an initial salvation experience, and then at some point in time, I began to live like the world again, like I used to, and I begin to allow sin back into my life, all the way to the point that the Spirit of God was no longer working on me. He was no longer changing me. He was no longer forming me. He was no longer molding me. He was no longer convicting me about these things. That's probably when I'd want to start believing in once saved. I'll be saved, ain't it? Hmm. That's when all of a sudden that one would become... Real appealing, right? They'd start tickling an itching ear, wouldn't it? Uh, Hmm. All right. I've talked about us. What about the church as a whole? Should it change? Now let me be clear. The church is the body of Christ. And that will never change. But as the body of Christ transforms into the image of Christ, don't you think some things will change along the way? Doesn't that just make sense? A wise man once said, if you keep doing the same things you've always done, you'll keep getting the same results you've always got. And I, somebody had taken that one time and said the definition of, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but the definition in Sandy is to keep doing the same thing, expecting to get different results. So if you say that you're going to stay the same, or you think things should stay the same, then aren't you kind of saying it's already perfect, it's already been perfected? Or worse yet than that? You have no desire whatsoever for things to get any better. You have no desire to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he leads you into Christ's likeness. So, back to my question. Does the church need to change? Resoundingly, there is no other answer but yes. But I'm afraid... I'm afraid it's not the direction that most people think. You see, the church definitely needs to make some changes. But the kind of changes we need to make is we need to begin by turning away from the world and the things that the world does, right? Uh, It is high time, right? We've got too many uh, pastors living in sin. We've got too many lazy deacons. We've got too many Christians who are okay with sin. We've got too many of us that are turning our heads the other way. Too much of this doing whatever makes us feel good and too much doing whatever makes you ha- makes you think you're happy in that moment. There's no interest in being holy, no interest in pleasing God. We're only interested in pleasing ourselves. We're only interested in putting on a show and looking good. The truth is we are probably much more concerned about putting numbers on the board. Now hear me, we're probably too concerned. Wait too concerned about putting numbers on the board than we are about seeing people get saved and live holy lives. Yeah, the church needs to make some changes. But it's not the direction that so many think that it needs to change. The church needs to change, all right. We need to turn back to God. We need to strive to be perfect as He is. We need to begin... Listen to me. The church needs to be a place where... I don't know how else to say this, but we need to turn back to holiness. I read something I want to read to you. It's kind of long, but I think it's worth reading. Um, Harry Reader. I don't know if uh, you know who that is. Uh, he, I, I don't know if he still pastors. He's getting up in his years. But he did pastor a church in Birmingham, Birmingham Alabama. I heard him speak one time. He's, he, he, I, in many ways, I read this, and I copied it down, and I carried it around with me sometimes. And I, I want to read it to you. He's making an analogy here. Some athletes, fascinated with body growth, in other words, big, build big muscles. Employ, now this is his words. I'm reading what he wrote. Biological. Steroid enhancement, right? I like think that's what we'd say that some athletes wanting big muscles take steroids. Why? Because they know it works, at least for a while. They will get bigger, stronger, and faster for a while. But soon they discover injected st- steroids also bring the side effects that will inevitably lead to death. Interestingly, the church is called the body of Christ in Scripture. When the church becomes preoccupied with body growth, putting numbers on the board, it becomes susceptible to a temptation to employ cultural steroid enhancement. In other words, keeping up with the time. But the inevitable side effects are soon manifested. Worship becomes entertainment. Discipleship becomes therapy. Evangelism becomes self-esteem. And the the gospel becomes a self-help prosperity message. Like biological steroids... Cultural steroids work for a while. The church grows numerically and is applauded culturally while dying spiritually. If the church don't make some changes soon, it is going to die spiritually. Listen to me. It is high time. It is high time that we begin to strive after and to follow the straight and narrow path of holiness instead of that wide and broad path of a modern feel good easyism. Man, we're sucked into the same thing. The same thing that the nation of Israel dealt with and got them in trouble over and over and over. It amazed me. I know some people don't like history. I really like history. But whether you like history or not, you can learn a whole lot from it. God recorded some history. Must have been really important. Must be a lot that we can learn from it. You find a bunch of it in your Old Testament. The more that I study it, the more I go through. I see Israel doing things. And I see us doing the exact same things. Oh, some of the details might be a little different. But in principle, it's the exact same thing. What does the nation of Israel do? They make worship easy. Right, Jeroboam did that. Right, he didn't want people going all the, way to, the to into the Kingdom of Jerusalem. He's afraid their hearts would be turned back to him, and that they would he'd lose control and lose power. So what does he do? He tells them, "Oh, it's too much trouble for you to go all the way down there to the temple and take your sacrifices down there. It, that old time religion that was for back then. It's no good anymore." And he says, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you some nice, big, fancy temple." And they're going to be right here in convenient spots. He puts one in the south in Bethel, one in the north in Dan. He says, you don't have to go all the way down there. He said, you can come. And he said, we'll worship this golden calf, the one that that delivered us out of Egypt, right? He's repeating the old lie of the devil. We see it again, right? Isn't that what's happening today is we're just going to make religion easy, right? Oh, you don't have to get dressed and come out. Oh, you can just worship in your pajamas. It's the same thing, right? are we going through these same things what happened to Israel was God pleased with that you better believe he wasn't pleased with that he raised up his prophets and he sent them out with word telling them warning them destruction is coming the judgment of God he's going to pour his wrath out on them and did they listen no and at the same time they're building groves to Baal right this is the worship of pleasure. This is not about what God wants. It's about what I want. It's, it's not about any kind of holiness or being set apart for God and for His service. It's about doing whatever makes me feel good, whatever trips my trigger, whatever pleasures I got. It's about the things that I like, the whatever, the maybe the things I like to listen to, the things I like to do, the things I like to feel, whatever makes me feel good. Was God pleased with that? He was so pleased with it that he sent the Babylonians to come and wipe out Jerusalem and wipe out the temple. The same one, the Jews, you can read in Jeremiah chapter 6, where the Jews would cry, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, saying, because we've got the temple of God, will never let anything happen to it. Boy, was they wrong. He flattened that sucker plumb out. He carried them off into captivity, right? Seventy years in captivity in Babylon. Oh, God wasn't pleased, and he poured out his wrath and his judgment on them. Church, listen to me. He's given us so much more today than he ever gave them, and yet we are making the same mistakes that they're making, falling down into them same traps. How much more will God pour his wrath out? How much more? So I told you it's unbailed hay. Cornelius. He was doing good, but he had a ways to go still. He had some changes to make. Church, we might be doing pretty good here, our little congregation, but we got a ways to go. They still some changes to make. He's still working on us. Listen to me, church. We want to see a move of God. We want to see some things happen. We need to turn to God. There needs to be a movement of holiness, right? We've got a desire to be holy as He is holy, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We need to strive for it. We need to desire it. Listen to me. We need to want it as much as a drowning man or woman desires another breath of air. How much do you want the holiness of God? How much do you want to be like God? How much do you want to have that sweet? Do you know the same walk that Adam and Eve had with God before the fall? We can have with him too. But do you want it bad enough that you're willing to turn away from everything else the world has to offer? Because you'll not get it until you do. How much do you want? To be in the presence of God, how much do you desire the holiness of God? How badly do you want to be pleasing in His sight, Zephyr? I don't. I didn't have a good taking-off place night. Good landing place. I'm just going to open the altar. And I'm going to tell you something. It's been a long time since we filled up this altar. I'm going to tell you something tonight. Boy, now would be a good time for us to cry out and begin to seek God again, right? Now would be a good time to say, God, maybe there's some junk that's got into our hearts and we need a good cleaning, right? We need a good, it ain't quite spring yet, but we need a good spring cleaning in our hearts. Now's the time that we need to turn and we need to seek after righteousness and the holiness of God. Now's the time that we want to desire, that we need to be desired to be like Him, right? How in the world are you going to witness to people and show people the love of Christ and let His light shine through you whenever we live in darkness ourselves and don't even desire the holiness of God? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? Maybe you've got a burden on your heart for somebody. Would you come and pray for them tonight? Maybe there's some things in your heart and your life uh, that you just gradually let in there that hadn't ought to be there, man. Now's a t- good time to come and get rid of that. Now's a good time to come and lay it out before the Lord. Hey, maybe there's a, now's a good time to come and cry out to Him. God, help me. Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. You might not get another one. This might be it. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come tonight? Maybe you just want to pray. That'd be all right. Come on.